message you're about to listen to is produced by the Trans Edge Church. We believe you will be blessed and changed by it. The Trans Edge change is inevitable. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to share your word. Lord, I give myself to you to use me. Like never before, speak through me. Speak a word in this room this morning that will go through the world, that will change lives, that will change mindsets in the name of Jesus. Father, let us be the first partakers of this word, not so that we can become proud, but so that we can be those who can carry it along as well, having received it from you. We praise you. We adore you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. How many of us couldn't wait for me to say Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10? <laughs> uh, I know for some of you, when you hear about armor, whether or not it's biblical, you will remember Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. You'll be in a movie theater, and you hear someone says, get up your armor, and you go, Ephesians 6, 10. Praise God. And that's the armor that we take all, always with us. And this armor is not the physical things that we put on to ensure that things don't attack us. You know, you see most of our Asian brothers and sisters there's one armor they go along with every day, almost every day, for most of them. What's that? The gas mask, you know, that little thing. Attach it to their nose. The reason for that was because there was, you know, an epidemic in China some years ago. And to save yourself of, you know, getting that thing very quickly, you put that on. It saved you. But now they got used to it. And what do you think it does now? Are you still here? What do you think it does now? Now they're used to it. Now they, even in Australia, they put it on. Go to US, you see some of them are still putting it on. They're used to it. But let me say something. If there's anything in the air that no one knows, the government don't, don't even know, they're protected. So it's almost natural for them to just put it on in the morning and just walk out. And you might just be looking at them and say, oh, well, come on, where do you come from? Take that thing off. But regardless of what you're talking about, it's protecting them from anything in the air. And can I say to you, the armor ought to be worn just like that. Get used to the armor. Get used to the armor. That whether or not you're ready, you're protected. Praise God. Protected. Ephesians 6.10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wars of the devil. For we wrestle not against the flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, 
having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet short with the preparation of the gospel of peace above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Amen. Amen. Verse 16, above all, above all, taking the shield of faith. We say with the shield of faith, you shall quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. The shield of faith quenches. Although the shield of faith is not supposed to be for offense, it's supposed to be for defense. But yet it says it quenches. So in defending you, it's taking an offensive action. So it says the shield of faith quenches all the fiery darts of the wicked. So any dart directed at you, what does it do? It neutralizes them. Neutralizing the darts of the enemy. And what are the fiery darts of the enemy? One of them is when the devil speaks unbelief in your ear. And all the shield of faith does is to quench it as though it's non-existent. Because it's non-existent. Because Jesus said about the devil, he said, he is a liar from the very beginning and his native language is lying. So Jesus knew everything that, is, that ought to be known about the devil. He said he's the father of lies. He called him so many names. He said he's the father of lies and he's a liar from the very beginning. He said there's no truth in him. So when the devil speaks to your mind, what do you think he's telling you? He might put your name in it, but he's telling you lies. And the only way you can quench that dirt of the devil is just to put up your shield of faith. And your shield of faith acts in protection of you, but also quenches the power of the enemy. So it does not just protect you from it, but it neutralizes the power. Of the enemy around you. So ideas might come into your mind that is not of God, and you realize that, hey, it does not match with God's word. And that's one way, can I tell you, that's one way to, uh, to check out an idea. The Bible says, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, my word shall be established. And one witness, one witness that we have is God's word. So when you study God's word, you've got a witness always with you. So if God speaks to your spirit and you're feeling very uh, unsure about it, and you're thinking, you know at times when God speaks to your spirit, you're, you're wondering, is this my mind or God's spirit? So you're not sure. Go back to the scriptures. What does the scripture say? And can I say to you, please never in your life 
open the scripture like that and check out for what God has said to you. Because it might not just be God that is talking at that time. It might just be a man that is talking to you. It might be Solomon in his fallen state. You get it? Oh, think about it. How many wives did he have? 300 wives. I can't... Okay, I was going to say something. I'll just stop. And 700 concubines. 1,000 ladies in his life. I don't even have 1,000 friends on my Facebook. 1,000 ladies. How did he manage them? No. When God gave him wisdom, it was not to marry 1,000 people. 1,000. So, what I'm saying to you is never open the Bible, you know, just by picking a big book and open to anywhere that shows up to you. You might encounter Solomon. And worse still, you might even encounter Nebuchadnezzar, the wicked king. Or even more terrible, you might encounter the devil himself. And that is why I've always told you that the Bible, are you ready for this? Are you ready? Okay, open your ears very clearly. <laughs> All right. The Bible is not the word of God. It contains the word of God. Because in the Bible, humans spoke. The devil spoke. God spoke. So if you take every word in the Bible as God's word, you might mislead yourself. And that is why when you study, you study by God's spirit. You don't just go, okay, I'm just going to read and believe everything. You read and believe everything. First, get the context. Get the context. Who was he talking to? Why was he talking to them that way? And who is talking and to whom? If you don't know that, you might go and hang yourself like Judas did. So, the Bible contains the word of God. And it's the word of God in the Bible that we hold on to. And don't forget, it says the Bible has been written for our learning. So, you get to understand the failures of some people. And that is not to say that their failures will be your failures, but rather you learn from their failures. And apply yourself to wisdom. You know one common thing about the Bible, for some of them, well, mine has it too. You see three words on the book. We call it the Holy Bible. All right? The Bible is only holy. Because you revere it. Do you know the devil can pick this book and nothing happens to him? Because it's not about the book. You can keep the book in your library. It makes no difference from other books. So what makes it holy is not about because it's a book. And that is why Paul said the letter kills. But the spirit gives life. So until you take the words of this book and extract it from the book and ingest it in yourself, it's not become holy yet. 
until you study the word of this book by God's spirit, it's not become holy yet. Because anyone, and that is why some people rip the pages of the book and come on, smoke with them. And yet they're still alive, some of them. So it's not about just the book. Because it, and that is why some people can study this as, as a textbook and their life is not changed. So what I'm saying to you is get yourself out of those religious, you know, things that you used to know. The Bible is holy, so you go to bed at night and you put your Bible under your pillow. It's going to protect you. No, it will not. It won't. Or you go and buy a necklace with a crucifix on it. That is not going to save you. I hope you get where I'm coming from. Because you ought to start to see God's word from the perspective of a human spirit connecting with the spirit of God, not by material medium, but it's a spiritual thing. He said, the time is coming and now is when the true worshipers shall worship in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. Candles will not do anything for you. You know that. Because the candle does not change anything. Handkerchiefs does not do anything for you. Because first, handkerchief didn't save you. The same handkerchief you used to blow your nose. You see? Handkerchiefs won't save you. The jacket of the man of God will not do anything for you. It won't save you. But you know what changes everything? Your faith. Can you see where the shield of faith comes in? Your faith changes everything. You see that woman that went to Jesus and said, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. It was not the garment. Because if it was the garment, everyone around Jesus would have just been healed and whole. And the Bible says they were strong in Jesus. They were strong in Jesus. But one person came in faith and said, if I may, just if I can, just only touch the helm of his garment. And I'll, I'll, I'll be whole. I'll be whole. That's all I ever need. And before she ever made that thought, she's had a lot about Jesus. There were so many preachers that have told her about Jesus. And the preachers were not just, you know, preachers as we know, but they were people who have experienced Jesus and were telling other people. And this woman had been in her condition for 15 years. And she heard about Jesus, and she heard that Jesus was coming to town, and, and she thought, you know what, I'm going to go. But I hear that this guy is popular, and no one can even get close to him because of the amount of people that, that throng him. But I'm going to push and push. And she already designed, are you listening? She already designed her healing before she got to Jesus. It was customized for her. If I can just touch the helm, I will. I will be made whole. If I can touch the helm. And that was why when she finally touched the helm of Jesus' garment, and Jesus said, ha, 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 someone just touched me. 
I just thought, oh, finally he's losing his mind. People are thronging you, they're pushing all over you, and you're saying someone touched you. Everyone is touching you. I said, no, because power has just gone out of me. And the woman came trembling. You see, it's one of those women that don't want to be in the limelight, right? Like some of you, you just want to work in the background. But because of your faith, God puts the limelight on you. You get it? And Jesus said, who touched me? And she went, he said, I'm the one. I'm sorry. But I just said, I thought, if I could just touch the hem of your garment, I would be made whole. He said, it's okay. You're not in trouble. Your faith has made you whole. You see, her faith just quenched the fiery dart of the devil that had been in her life for 15 years. It just quenched it. It just neutralized it. The Bible says right there, the, the flow of blood from her body ceased. It dried up. Right there, that very moment. It dried up. You see what your faith can do. And he said in verse 16, he said, above all, above all as a priority, take the shield of faith because with this shield of faith you will quench all the, all the arrows of the enemy. Yes. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. And here he's talking a little bit about faith. He's just establishing something about faith. Uh, Let's take from verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it. And what is it? By faith. The elders. I love this. And when he's talking about the elders, he's talking about Moses, Joshua, Caleb, Elisha, Elijah, John. You know, he's talking about those people. He says, by faith, the elders obtained a good report. In other words, the only way they could be deemed okay and worth it, because then Jesus had not died. He said, but by faith, these guys obtained a good report. By faith. And it says, through faith, we understand that the words, did it say through science? No, it says through faith. Because now it's starting to tell, it's starting to delve into something a bit bigger than what we can see. It says, through faith, we understand that the words, not the world, the words, and both the physical ones, and the spiritual ones say the words were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. That's a big thing, but we're not going there tonight. So by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. And the only way he could obtain witness that he was righteous was just through his faith. And then Jesus had not died. You you get it? But through faith, he just knew. I've done the right thing before God. 
And through the same faith, Cain realized that he was not righteous. So, so by, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. I could speak on this for the rest of the day. Than Cain. It's just like bringing your skills in, but bringing the excellent part of it in. Doing the best because God deserves the best. Don't bring in like Cain, but always come in in the heart of Abel. Who brings in an excellent, a more excellent. And when it talks about more excellent, that, that kind of tells me that Cain actually brought something excellent. But Cain just brought in something more. Oh, sorry, Abel brought in something more. But, but Cain brought in what is required. Abel brought in much more than is required. Yes. Cain was willing to stick to the job responsibilities, you know, the role re- responsibilities of the role, but Abel was willing to go far beyond. He said, so he brought a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. So don't think that Cain's sacrifice wasn't really good. It was good. It was just what he's supposed to bring. But Abraham's one was much more. So by which he obtained witness that he was righteous and God testifying of his gifts. Praise God. Go ahead. And by it, he being dead yet speaks. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found. By faith, he was translated. He didn't die. He was translated from our physical world to a spiritual world. Translated. So they looked for his body. They didn't find him. Same thing. Do you know same thing was Moses? God just told Moses, go up to the mountain and die. And Moses went up. And that was it. Right? And people went back to look for him. They didn't find his body. Oh, study your Bible very well. I'm not trying to make it up. Okay? All right. It says, for Enoch, before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. He just knew in his heart that he pleased God. And then, he said, and then here he says, but without faith, It used a very strong word. It is impossible, regardless of how much you do, it is impossible to please God. And in another translation, it says, it is impossible to get God's attention. It's impossible. And that is mission impossible. To go on a mission without faith, it's a mission impossible. Praise God. So, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that God exists. He is, and also, he's a rewarder of them that continuously, diligently seek him. Do you seek him? Continuously. Or do you only seek him? When it's comfortable. Do you only seek him when it's not too cold? Do you only seek him when there's no other, other response? Do you only seek him when the doctor says, hey, you've got three months to leave? Or you seek him from the very start? You see, don't make him the last resort. 
Make him the first. Make him the first. Oh, you are re- you really can can you remember the concept of the Alpha and Omega? Right. In other words, he comes before you, he outlives you. You are only sandwiched in between. So why not seek him? And continue to seek him. He comes before time and he outlives time. And with him, time is nothing. And that is why David said, ah, I've just realized. A day in your court, or, uh, yeah, a day in your court, no, it's a, a thousand years is like a day in your eyes. It's like a day. So, so I'd rather stay and live in the house of God than to dwell in the company of the ungodly. So for God, time is just, you see, time is what we set for ourselves. And, you know, my wife and I were talking this morning. We woke up, and woke up pretty late, kind of thinking, what are we going to do? And, and she said something, say, what if service was 8.30? I said, you see, if service was 8.30, we would have woken up at 6. Because time is a restriction that we put on ourselves. You know, for some of you, you, if you are given a time to sleep, you will sleep and oversleep. There are some people, when they sleep in, the time they wake up is 1 p.m. But, but the, the fact of the matter is, when you've got something to do, your body wakes you up. Your body wakes you up. It's a psychological thing. You just wake up. So time is the restriction that we put on ourselves. But God has no restriction. He looks at you putting restriction on yourself, and you talk about circadian rhythm. He, he just looks at you and goes, mm, okay, yeah, whatever, yeah. So you, when you're saying um, you, your faithfulness, they are new every morning. He said, morning is the restriction that you put on yourself. My faithfulness is always there. It's always there. It's always there. He said, he loves you for a thousand generations. He said, for those that he hates, right? And this is the Old Testament. He said, for those that he hates, he hates them until the fourth generation. And you think, oh God, you hate people that much? Fourth generation. So basically, you're talking about if the father did wrong, then you hate the, the son, you hate the grandson, and you hate the great-grandson. But you see, the one after that starts to live in a new love of God. He's given a new opportunity, and that was back then. But then he talks about the ones that he loved. He loved for a thousand generations. I'm thinking, God, compared to the ones that you hate, I'd rather live in your love. Because a thousand generations from me, if you love me, your love for me will transfer unto them. And you realize that he loved David so much. And he said to David, he said, the throne shall not depart from you. So even when... Solomon was misbehaving. He said, because I've already promised David my son, it will pass on to you. You see, at times, just what you do, the seed that you sow today can just restore and save your generations way beyond you. 
All right, that's not where we're going. Let's come back. So for he that comes to God must believe that he is and is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And he went on to talk about the faith of Noah and so on and so forth. But I want to take you to one more place just before we close today. Or rather, two more places. How about Ephesians chapter 5? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. This is one of my favorite scriptures. One of my favorite scriptures. And what does it say? Can we all read it together? One to go. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also had loved us and had given himself for us as an offering and sacrifice to God. Praise God. Now let's read that same scripture in Amplified Version. We've got Amplified, right? Look at this. So therefore... Be what? Be imitators of God. And what does it say in Paretensis? It says, copy him and follow his example. How many of us remember control C and control V? It does not need to be yours. God allows you to plagiarize without penalties. No copyright laws. He just wants you to copy and paste. Copy his example. Paste upon yourself. Why? He gives you authority. It's like, go in my name. How else would he ask you to copy and paste if he says, go in my name? In other words, show up as me. Show up as me. The devil is dealing with you just say, can't you just see that as he is, so am I in this world? Can't you see that I'm not working by myself? I'm working as Jesus on earth. It's true. And until you catch or grasp those truths in the scriptures, you will still walk around being deflated every second by the devil. And that is why you walk and you get inflated. You walk back out. And before anything happens in your world, you get poked. You get deflated. Oh, God, I didn't just know this life is like this. Why am I the only one in this life? You know, the whole thing is resting on my shoulder. I'm, you know, that you can complain all you like. But if you realize it, the, the little nuggets of God's word, and you just know that you are not by yourself, you are not on your own, he said the greater one lives on the inside of me. And if you realize that and start to copy and paste, you, you get it? Copy and paste. You hear that God's, you hear that little verse of God's word. You say, that belongs to me. Put your name in there. Put your name in there. Even if he says, you know, in the midst of the assembly, I will praise you and Jesus is talking. You put your name in there. So find a place in God's word where you fit in. Put your name. Copy and paste. No punishment. No all right? No fear of being sued. No penalties. Okay? Great. He says, so be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. He's not promising you. He's asking you. He's an order. Be imitators of God as beloved children. In other words, if you love him, imitate him. So he said, copy him and follow his examples as well-beloved children do, does what? 
imitate their father. So if you call God your father, yes. copy him and paste him to your life. Yes. Imitate him. Yes. Imitate him. Imitate him. All right. So, next favorite verse. Just put your hand on that one. Don't lose it. Uh-huh. Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 7. Or rather, let's take from verse 6. Seek. So don't forget the idea that we already got from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Okay? Be imitators of God, copy him and follow his examples as well beloved children imitate their fathers, right? Okay. So he said, Seek, inquire for, and require the Lord while he may be found. Claiming him by necessity and by right. Do you get it? Because you need him and because you know it's your right. He says, so claiming him by necessity and by right. Call upon him while he's near. And when is he near? Is he ever away? So because he's never away, always know that you carry God's presence. See, he said, call upon him while he's near. And then he says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man or woman his thoughts. And what's the word for forsake? Abandon. Change from it. Reject it. Ignore it now. So the way that you used to think, he said, forsake that way. So, so let the wicked forsake, abandon his way, and the unrighteous man, that pe- person who used to realize that they are unrighteous, he said, let them forsake, abandon that idea of unrighteousness. Okay? And let them return to the Lord. The word return is actually to turn again. You've turned before, but now he's asking you to Turn again. Do what you've done before again. So return to the Lord and he will have love, pity, and mercy for him and to our God for he will multiply to him his abundant pardon. Then it says here, don't forget verse 6 again. Verse 6 again, please. Seek, inquire for, and require the Lord while he may be found, claiming him by necessity and by right, Call upon him while he's near, seven. And it says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man take this on, his thoughts. Verse eight. Verse eight. For my thoughts. You see the reason why he's asking you to forsake the thoughts. All right? It says, so for my thoughts are not your thoughts. The way you think is not the way I think. So you might be thinking it's just the differences. Individual opinion. No, that's not what he's talking about. He said, the way you think is not the way I think. The, your own way of acting, your ways are not my ways, says the Lord. Now, see, here's the difference. So it's not just individual opinions. It's actually hierarchy of opinions. Hierarchy of the way of thinking. He says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. So the disparity between your own way of thinking is way lower than the way he thinks. He said, and my thoughts, then your thoughts. And the difference is as the heavens are higher than the earth, 
says, so my thoughts are higher than yours, and my ways are higher than yours. And what did they say? For as the rain and snow come down from the heavens, before we get there, the thoughts around that is, let the wicked forsake his way and take on my way. Let him forget, forget his, his thoughts and take on my thoughts because mine is way much better than yours. And that's what God is saying. He said, mine is way much better than yours. So if mine is better, I'd rather you be thinking like me and not be thinking like yourself. Because if I leave you to yourself, you will implode. But if you take on my way, hey, Jesus said, he that is from above is above all. So if you think in the mind of him that is from above, what do you think your life will be? Above all your situations and circumstances. So it's in verse 10, it says, For as the rain and snow come down from the heavens and does not return there again, but water the earth and make it bring forth and sprout, that he may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. It says, So, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth, it shall not return to me void without producing any effect or useless, but it shall accomplish that which I please and purpose, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So, going back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, Jesus, God is saying here, he said, hey, my thoughts are not your thoughts. He said, for as the rain comes down from heaven and waters the earth, so that it brings forth and bud and sprout and board, he said, so shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It does not return to me void until it accomplishes everything I want it to accomplish. Now, going back to Ephesians, it says, hey, copy and paste his idea. Copy and paste him. Do you love him? Are you his son? Are you his daughter? Imitate him. So if God is saying here that whatever I say does not return to me void, what are you copying and pasting into your life now? That the words that you will speak from henceforth will not return to you void. And the only way you can do that is by faith. And your faith is saying, you know what, I'm a child of God. My words have got power. I can speak life. I can speak death if I choose to. But I'd rather choose life. And then God is saying, whatever I speak does not return to me void. You see why when we speak, we are not just boasting. We are imitating. Okay? When you say it gets better, we are not boasting. We are imitating. We are imitating our Father, whose ways are better than ours. We might not see everything that there is to see, but we know that if we imitate him, he sees everything, and it will work for our good. It works for our good. You see, the armor is only just starting. Now, when you take that armor out and speak what you want to see, not what you can see, but what you want to see, it has a way of returning with dividends. God is saying, I speak words. It does not come back to me empty. It accomplishes what I want it to do. So you, as a child of God, as what? Child of God who imitates his father. Hey, you should speak words that you want to see. You can look at your situation right now and say, God, enough is enough of this. I'm changing this. Can, can I say to you, don't think it's pride when you say, I am changing this. 
Because when you speak that way, you are not speaking by yourself. You are not speaking on your own ability. You are speaking based on God's ability that is in you. Say, Lord, I'm changing this. This changes now. In the name of Jesus. And then start to declare. Start to declare what you want to see. Start to declare, God, I thank you. Because before the end of this year, I'm buying my house. I, I refuse to pay more rent and pay other people's mortgage. You know, you can start to see it that way. Or you can start to say, Lord, I thank you for my business. It's receiving a 100% increase in the name of Jesus. And you're not saying, Lord, please come and help my business. You're not praying that kind of prayer. Because at times, you just need to understand who you are in Christ and what belongs to you. Your right and necessity, right? You see, you just need to understand that. And when you understand that, you don't pray a begging prayer anymore. Because when you pray a begging prayer, it just... It just shows your mentality. You still have a beggar's mentality. He said, but I, I'm not a beggar, I'm not a beggar, but hear yourself. If you're always asking, oh, can I have this? If it's your will, can I have this? But God says, it is my will that you prosper and be in health. So why are you still begging? Take what is yours. He said, but how do I do it? Start confessing. And this is not confession of sin. It's confession of what you've got in Christ. Lord, I thank you because my life, you know, just goes from one level to another. I'm not retrogressing. I'm progressing. The, li- the lines are falling onto me in good and pleasant places. The boundaries are aligned to me in the right places. You prepare the table before me in the presence of whatever they call themselves. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercies are my companions all the days of my life. You you see, you start to speak that way. The devil has nowhere to place his thoughts. Why? Because you've sealed your wall of thoughts with God's word. And you believe in it. You believe in it. Never forget, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So with faith... You can do whatever you can do. And you say, Lord, I stand here knowing fully well that you love me. And don't say, God, come and love me, please. Can you just show that you love me? No, he already showed it. He sent his son Jesus. What else do you want? In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Can we stand on our feet?